welcome back and happy Tuesday to the Restore Podcast. I'm so glad you guys have been coming on. I've been loving and admiring all these women I've been interviewing lately, but today is a very special interview and it is actually one, if you can believe it, with my mother. Um, So I'm actually interviewing my mom today because I wanted to have this topic about surviving breast cancer. And inside, I wanted to interview other people. But then the other side of me was like, well, I need to get authentic with myself and realize and listeners need to know that, wow, this isn't something so deep. I know I'm such in health and wellness, but this is something just so deep, tears my heart apart, especially when it is your own mother. And you just have such a different perspective as you would when you're just like, oh, you know, I'm supporting Susan G. Coleman and you're supporting all these races and marathons and, you know, putting your little quarter in. But this is a whole different kind of kind of gambit. So, mom, I want to thank you for coming on um, so much. And so we're just going to dive right in. So just kind of for a backstory, my mother just has faced so many different obstacles growing up. And so that's what kind of made this whole another diagnosis just become just so difficult for our family, so difficult for me and my sister. Um, My mother, you know, does have diabetes, blood pressure issues. She has Hashimoto's and chronic pain issues due to a huge accident that we were involved in. And so it, it sometimes felt like, goodness gracious, like, when are we ever going to get ahead? Or when is this lady just going to just experience just such goodness? And then when this kind of news struck our family, it it was just such a hard thing for our family. So how do you feel when you first kind of received that news? And what did that look like for you? Well, when I tell people, they think it's kind of odd because I actually had a dream that I had cancer and I called my OB and I made an appointment to come in to do you know the yearly things and um, that's what made me get my appointment and while I was there I told her that I had had a dream that I had cancer and my left breast was really painful and uh, she said, Teresa, you haven't been here since you were 42 years old. You haven't been here in 10, 12 years. And I said, well, it was the dream that brought me in because I was dealing so much with my other health issues, especially my back pain, that I kind of put that on the side. And I thought, well, this is the worst of my issues was my back that I didn't pay a lot of attention to women's health. So then when I had the dream... I responded and she saw that I was walking with a cane that day and she said, well, do you think if I call down and get an MRI for you today, or not an MRI, a uh, mammogram, that you could get yourself down there? And I said, well, I'll try. And so she called down there at St. Luke's Hospital in Chesterfield, Missouri, and they got me in and the appointment took a long time. And then they said, don't get dressed. And they kept bringing me back again and again and again. And that's when I knew that my dream was like spot on. And um, 
they didn't tell me that I had cancer, but you know, they did send me to go do some further testing. And um, it ended up being positive. And I learned that one out of eight women will get diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. And no one in my family has had breast cancer. Our father had a first family, a military wife from World War II, and my eldest sister Brenda contacted his family because they were all girls, and none of his first family had had breast cancer. So I was the only one out of both families, out of 10 girls, that had breast cancer. How did that make you feel? Um, I thought I had dealt through so much in life that I thought the rest of my life was going to be more easy. And then I was kind of really pissed because I was like, here we go again. Why am I having to deal with another thing and another thing that's not my fault? Because a lot of the stuff that I'd been through was not my fault. And uh, had I not had the dream, though, um, I may have not went you know, and did the appointment, but perhaps it was God, perhaps it was my mom, you know, showing me that I needed to go do this. And uh, when I went through all the tests, I had uh, around five different MRIs, and uh, they kept trying to work me in, and uh, I did my MRI, and they shot the uh, fluid through your veins, and... Uh, I had asked for music and they said it wasn't working. And I had a young girl and I was like, sometimes the people that need to operate these machines need to be women that maybe are more mature, that have a little bit sense of a caring type personality because you're getting all the answers and you don't really know how bad your cancer is at this point. And so these tests that they're doing is trying to find out if it's through your entire body, it's through your lymph nodes, where is the cancer? And so it's allowing the doctors to know where, what they have to do. And, uh, after, and I was having a hell of a time in the MRI machine with laying there flat, and it was more than an hour, and she had me hooked up with the fluid and running through my vein. You had to keep your arms straight. No headphones, no music. And she said, they're not working. And five minutes before, the bag burst, and I could feel the sense of fluid all over me in the MRI machine. And she just said, oh, we got to stop. I think the bag burst. And it was like... <laughs> Are you freaking kidding me? And I think that would be so hard just for, you know, just general people going in. If it, You know, if you don't have any pain issues already, if you don't have any other diagnoses or any other health issues to begin with. But to begin with, you know, when I hear stuff like this and knowing that, wow, this is such a long process one for you. Not only is... Do I care about you so much more because obviously you're my mother and you're like my little room, my roomie, but also like someone that's in chronic pain, someone that actually doesn't feel good. Like it took so much to get them there. 
it took so much from anxiety and knowing like where where am I at and to be treated like oh well this is a procedure and we just have to do it again and oh well looks like this is done and kind of like you're kind of like in the McDonald's order you're like no like my insurance hopefully pays for this now I'm stressed not only mentally emotionally financially and even like I'm in so much physical pain this is not just a oh the bag burst we have other issues going on here and of course from I think just being so in this where you know you have kids on the other side of it you know for me and Ashley alone looking in I get a call you know when I'm I'm adjusting and I get this call and it's my parents are very great of leaving, leaving voicemails while I'm in the heart of adjusting, taking care of other people. I appreciate it so much. I love them. And I hear this, and I literally listen to this voicemail because I sneak kind of back in between patients. And I hear this, and, like, my world, like, falls apart. And I think for a lot of people, you hear cancer, and you instantly think, death you then you think okay chemo you think radiation this is going to be a process how is this lady going to go through this process she already doesn't feel good like and now I'm so far away do I need to move back like so your mind starts turning and then you're like well I'm an hour and a half away I'm in the middle of adjusting now I got to take care of these people and act like everything's okay with them meanwhile my world that I love so much is like falling apart and she needs me and I can't be there. And I think that, I think that was something as an outside looking in that hurt me the most and knowing that I couldn't be there to be our supportive, not that I could do much, but be there to support you. So as you look ahead, like what were things as you're going through this treatment process and kind of figuring out what this looked like. What did that look like for you of that uncertainty turning into a certainty? Was it very crystal clear of like, hey, we're going to do X, Y, Z? Or was it, were you kind of in limbo for a while of like, are we at this stage? Like, did that take some time? What did that look like for you? Well, that day um, with the girl, um, she said, we're going to have to do it again. And if you leave here today, you're not going to get your results. So you need to think about that. And so I said, no, I'm going to get off the table. I'm going to go in the room. I'm going to take five minutes. I'm going to have a drink. And then you'll have water, to put the correct? Water, correct? <laughs> <No>, yeah. <laughs> Whatever they had there, it was like water. And I said, I've got to decompress. Yeah. Because it was very hot in those machines, too. And also just, like, so much information. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, wow, this is overwhelming to, like, I got to do this, 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 this. And I think we're very we're very similar. And I realized that upon, like, all the... We, you just had a lot of health stuff along your lifetime. And I realized something, especially with my spine surgeries and then dealing with your stuff, how similar we were of... We're processing people, but we are very quick processing of like, we got to get shit done. Like, I need this, this, this. We don't have time to do this. Like, we're not going to show emotion for these other people, but we're going to do da, da, da. 
And that's something, because I've seen from an outside perspective looking in, not that you needed that, but you had this an exorbitant amount of strength. And do you feel like you had that because that's how you felt? Or do you feel like you had that because you felt you had to be that way for other people? I think I think some of it is a way we grew up because we grew up in a very uh, uh, a family where there was a lot of abuse and I think we learned as young children that you had to kind of handle a lot of things yourself that you didn't get to really be a child you didn't get to really be a teenager and That's there's it. just you yeah there's just you in the end. Mm -hmm. You have to handle it and you have to take care of it. <clears throat> um, so I, you know, had a, had a glass of water, wiped the blood off of me and the stuff that had burst, whatever it was in that bag, and then went back out there and told the young girl that I was ready to do the second time that day. And I completed it and then my doctor called in a few days and she said, Teresa, it is cancer. I'm sorry, it's coming up on Memorial Day, and I hate to tell you that over the phone, but it is cancer, and I'll give you the name of the doctor to follow up with, and I told her, I said, well, it doesn't matter if it's Memorial Day, there's never a good day to hear you have cancer, but I'd rather know. Yeah, and as something that, one, I think looking so far in, you know, this is one of those rare interviews where I don't have to look outside in. I'm in <laughs> again. And knowing that, wow, gosh, another hard diagnosis on top of all the other things that you've dealt with. And for listeners that don't really realize, we will have another podcast on chronic issues. Um, but at this point, just kind of knowing and not knowing kind of what stage, kind of where you were, what this looked like for you, did you ever just feel like giving up or did you just go right into of like, we're going, like, where are we going to fight? We're going to do this right now. I struggled and I even called my sister Brenda, my eldest sister Brenda, and I said, I will not have a mastectomy. They will not cut my breast off. I would rather die than have my breasts removed. Why? Because I, I would even, when my husband and I would go out to breakfast or anything, and I would see young mothers and with their little babies and their little children, and knowing um, it's a different kind of cancer. And with your breast, you're also, you've nursed your children. Um, and it meant so much more to me than just, it was like I would have rather have died, I think, than to have had my breast removed. But I finally came to the conclusion if that's what they had to do, that's what they had to do. So I met with all the doctors and then I went in for the biopsy and then met with the uh, surgeon who was extremely the best surgeon at St. Luke's. And we talked about it, and she met with me and my husband, and she said, I'm going to leave it up to you. And she said, 10 years before this, it was automatic mastectomy. That's just the way we treated breast cancer. She said, but today, you can choose to do a lumpectomy, or you can do a mastectomy. 
and that way be done with it. And if you do, then we have to go through the procedure because they have to put some type of clips in to leave the breast open to go back and do like an implant if that's what you choose. And I said, no, at this point, um, I'm going to do a lumpectomy because from what I've read, there's a high chance of cancer coming back. And if I come every six months, um, if it comes back, then I'll go from there. But from right now, this is the decision that I'm making. And uh, Do you deal with anxiety and were they thinking that as you made that decision that cancer will come back? I thought about it in the beginning and I got on a thing where I started watching different things on YouTube about previous people who had cancer. And then I started one of the young girls that I really liked her interviews and she was giving you all the information to tell you what you were in for, what to expect, what kind of creams to buy, what kind of t-shirts to buy for when you started your radiation or chemotherapy, whatever your doctor planned. And then I saw another video below that and she had died and she was only in her twenties and I was shocked and saddened because she gave some of the best information of all the YouTube videos that I had been and I went out and I got a bunch of t-shirts and rewashed the t-shirts and you know got the different creams that she had suggested and you know try to prepare myself and you know it's funny looking back because my husband and I had went shopping during a holiday and he didn't know that I, this is before I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had the dream and I said, I need to buy extra underwear. I need to buy some t-shirts. I need to buy some more pajamas. And he's like, you don't need all that. How many pairs of underwear does a person need? And I said, well, I just need to stock up on a few things and some extra pair of pajamas and, you know, a nice robe and just have it. And he still didn't know that because I didn't tell him about a dream, because then he would have been like, oh my God, Teresa, here you go go again. (laughs) A dream. Here we go. I don't think about breast cancer coming back, but a lot of my husband's friends and my friends went and did mammograms. And out of around eight or nine of the women, one of his high school friends did get diagnosed with breast cancer. In fact, about a month ago, and then with COVID, she wasn't able to be around anybody or see anybody, but she did have to have a double mastectomy. And then she's doing the implant and she had to do a lot of chemotherapy. And she's been through the ringer with her type of cancer. But for you and just like um, a previous podcast actually talked about you know, it's not just the cancer you go through. It's the type of cells that with that are within the cancers. Um, so for you, what was the hardest part for you going through the whole, I would say, recovery process, but this whole entire process in general? Well, I think with breast cancer, you realize you're not alone because you go into these rooms and... I go to a lot of doctors with my chronic issues 
and people there usually talk, have conversations, or joke around, or whatever, and you know they suffer with chronic pain because they'll bring puzzles or workbooks or books or books on tape or whatever to occupy because sometimes doctors, you may be there three hours at a time. Mm -hmm. But with breast cancer, most of the women don't talk. They keep to themselves. You don't know their name. You don't exchange information because everyone is on pens and needles and they're waiting for their results. And so they're very quiet. Do you think that would have helped you, hurt you? Do you feel like that changed how you felt about the whole process because people were so quiet? Do you feel that would have benefited you having people that were more talkative or not? Because, you know, it's just such a person-by-person thing, I know, you know, which is such a different thing of, you know, going through so many spine surgeries. There was people where we just were absolutely alone. And there was those rare times that all of a sudden you had this weird roommate that wasn't even a a spine person. And they're like, you're going to do great. And I'm like, get away from me. (laughs) You know, so what what do you feel like would have helped you, hurt you, or didn't phase you? I think for me, myself, I'm always, uh, I try to take things with a sense of humor. Um, Mm -hmm. I called... Uh, the cancer my idiot twin (laughs) and my idiot twin needed to be removed and then I realized that's always been my problem I had an idiot twin somewhere I didn't know anything about and so I kind of made it like a sense of humor and then when I talked about having the uh, cancer removed I told people that they took a melon baller and reached in there and took out that piece of cancer and uh, kind of made it a joke because I could tell other people felt uncomfortable. And some people will even avoid you because they don't know what to say. Did you feel uncomfortable? No. In fact, when I went in every, I had to have 33 radiation treatments for seven weeks. I went Monday through Friday. I just dropped my robe because I was like, I don't care at this point. You've seen it all. You know how many breasts you see in a day. I don't care. Let it rip. <laughs> um, I didn't care. It was like, no. You handled it just like such a warrior, and I'm so proud of you for that. I really am. Um, as you've dealt with so much, and sometimes from an outside looking in, you get frustrated as someone that is in health, and, you know, you want your mom around. You want these memories and for a lot of people they could probably say the same of like when's enough and when is enough enough you know you know whether it's a diabetes thing or a blood pressure or Hashimoto's or you know cancer like what is a big change it's which cancer sometimes you know we we've talked about in school cancer respects no boundaries it doesn't care who you are doesn't care what profession you had it doesn't care if you're nice or not that's the anomaly. But with everything else, I think um, from an outside looking in, you can think you've been diagnosed with such hard things for so long. At what point, you know, it's, does it get to where, you know, 
from that outside, I know I'm stumbling with words where it's like, I've always felt like you're fighting, 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 and we're kind of sitting in recovery. We're recovering. And we're fighting, 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 and we're sitting in recovery. But where does it ever feel like you're in a good spot and you've taken care of yourself and we're going to do everything possible to make sure that this doesn't happen a second time or more things come because there's just so many people that love you and love to be around you and your energy is just just so organic and just so vibrant and people love what you have to say and just you light up that room so what makes you want to be around for other people and what have you done to keep you healthy especially being so lucky enough to recover yet again from such a hard thing um one of the things that my husband and i do is we read a lot of stuff jeffrey um, <laughs> yes jeffrey because my husband and i were raised with Are these you families sure? <laughs> with large families and the way his family grocery shopped was <laughs> they went to multiple stores and to feed their family and they bought everything cheap. Like if you walked out, you know, then why buy like that hamburger, you know, when I'm like, no, we need grass fed because it's hormone. Da, 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 da. He goes, yeah, but this store over here has it for this price so we can get a huge, you know, thing. And so once in a while he'll still bring something home and I'll like shake my head going, Okay, once again, there's just two of us at home. We don't need a vat of stuff. It's just the two of us. I'd rather have one great chicken breast than to have eight that when you watch the videos of how different animals are treated, it doesn't make you feel too good of a, a buyer. Um, I was also one of the generations that there was a company that came into our school and gave all the young girls which was Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble. Their first, um, as a young teen, their first maxi pad, tampons, secret deodorant, sure deodorant. And so I was one of those people that started out using all those products and... Uh, which kind of guarantees a lifeline consumer. Yes, and our mother always used body powder and at work I used shower to shower <laughs> oh no and she always put body powder baby powder on all of our beds because she thought it kept your beds from getting you know uh, bed bugs and things like that because that was back in her generation so she would when she changed the sheet she would put all the baby powder all over all of our mattresses and so now I'm seeing all these commercials about the baby powder and Johnson and Johnson and on and on and on. And, and lawsuits and like, because the reason about it is, I mean, goodness gracious, they're putting talc in your sheets and now it's in your like vagina for freaking crying out loud because a lot of times like I remember doing this residency at Bradley. It was so funny. And I had this nurse, and we were on the OB floor, and we were working the night shift. I loved her. She was so great. And I had to install a catheter in this old lady. And she was like, listen, ladies, never powder the muffin. You don't powder the muffin. And I was like, what? And I was like embarrassed like crazy. I was like, what in the world? And she goes, 
this has talc in you if you put powder on the muffin. Not only are you more leading to UTIs, mm -hmm. but this is leading to a whole nother issue of things. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And so first I was so embarrassed, but then the more I researched and wow, oh my gosh, like talc on our body parts, like that's insane. And as you know, you said that as you're a lifelong consumer and people are kind of giving you stuff with, you know, deodorant or pads or tampons and all these things. It's just like, oh my gosh, people, if you are listening, join the Restored Life page on Facebook. I have all the alternate, all the organic there, very user-friendly from makeup to tampons to body products, skincare, anything you need. Not a shameless plug. But I think that's something that does go a, a long way. And I think there's, I would say half and half. There's half people that feel, well, we're all going to die of something. So just do whatever. You know, I just love my toxin makeup. I don't care. I'm going to be beautiful at the end of the day. I don't care. And then there's the other half of people that are just like, well, you know, if we can prevent some of these small things, Small things being skincare, maybe sometimes it's makeup. All the biggest things, skin's our biggest organ anyway, especially under the armpit deodorants. And that armpit is the biggest like lifeline for breast cancer anyway. But if we can control those things, if we can control some of the foods, then it allows you to be a little bit more liberal when it comes to maybe you want to drink or maybe you want to go out to dinner or maybe you want to, you know, do X, Y, Z. It, it gives you that ability, but when you're constantly filled with toxin, 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 and you're caking your body with toxins along with the food you intake, along with the drinks you intake, along with the environment, it becomes so much harder to fight those things. So it's, it's being in charge of the small things so that at least it's, I think from an outside looking in, it, it doesn't void you of having those things but it helps you long term knowing that you did the best thing possible knowing that your body's able to fight those if those things do come back so I think that is a big thing what message would you like to provide women in the community as you're now a survivor you're now a couple couple months out almost a year out what message would you like to provide people of what they need to know, what they need to be aware of, what they need to screen for. Um, I looked up on the internet all the different things and they show you lemons with all the different uh, pictures of the lemons and what breast cancer could look like and how your breast could be if you had cancer. But I think the most thing is prevention, doing your mammograms and doing them regularly and testing, 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 and starting at a very young age. Don't wait till you feel pain. Don't wait in case you might have a dream like <laughs> I did. I don't know how that happened, but it did. An empath. <laughs> but I've always gotten strange things like that happen. I can't explain it. It just happens. It does. Sometimes you don't tell people because they'll think that you're weird or strange, but... It has happened in the past where you felt different premonitions or things, but definitely testing, early, early testing. I think that's so huge. 
But as we wrap up, I thank you for being on. I thank you for sharing your knowledge. I thank you for how strong you are, for how much you fought for us, how much you fought for you, how much you fought for our family. Do you want to do this? Because a lot of people could easily say, you know what? I've been through enough. Enough's enough. And I thank you for wanting to be around for us. So I honor that. As we go forward with like research, just as my mother has said, just some stats to end and signs so that you could be aware. In 2020, the estimated among women in the United States, there will be 276,480 new cases of invasive breast cancer. This does include new cases of primary breast cancer, but not reoccurrences of the original breast cancer. There will be 48,530 new cases of ductal carcinoma in tissue, DCIS, a non-invasive breast cancer. In 2020, there will be 42,170 breast cancer deaths. The warning signs of breast cancer are not the same for all women, but the most common signs are a change in the look or feel of your breast or a change in the look or feel of your nipple or nipple discharge, or if you're anything like my mother, it's a dream or a weird feeling that you have. And any type of uh, family history plays an even greater role. So you want to make sure that you're even that more effective of those just to go get checked. Because again, checking on wellness, checking on preventative is your best offense. But I hope you love this episode. I know it was a little bit shorter. We hope to be on for future episodes. And I thank you for tuning in. Good day.